Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christianity and Saturdays. Today is Saturday, November 22nd, 2014. Tonight we'll be um, presenting another discussion entitled Walk the Walk Part 2, and I have Brother Ryan here to join me in that discussion. Hello, Ryan. Hail Christ, brother. Hail Christ. The idea for this series of programs was initiated on the Christianity Forum under a topic called Christian Order. In a post there, one of our brethren sought to illustrate the difference between two distinct avenues of thought among identity Christians. The first group is the wiser, who, like in the days of Gideon, would await the hand of God in the deliverance of Israel. This group would order their individual lives after Christ first, and, as the scripture says in so many places, wait upon the Lord, an admonition that we see quite often. The second group wants to move against the beast system immediately. These people are reactionaries who think that they, taking action themselves, or goading others to take action for them, will somehow be ordained to victory. This is not what the scripture says. At the end of our last segment on this topic with Brother Ryan, I went into a rant against those who think that Christians should take up the sword and fight against the beast, or those, more importantly, who sit on the internet, play keyboard commando, and try to belittle others into doing something stupid. Taking the vengeance of God into their own hands or advising others to do so. They are the people represented by this second group. The week after our discussion, I did an open forum program, hosted a call-in program, attracting, for the most part, only trolls. But where I presented the account of Gideon in detail, I did this because certain voices patterning themselves in the fashion of the second group which I described, described also frequently invoke the story of Gideon as their model. But these people did not pay much attention to the details of the Gideon account and how careful Gideon was to make certain that his commission had truly come from God. In fact, the second group, that group doesn't pay attention to any of the details at all. However, what we have discussed thus far should only be a small part of the purpose of the series. There are questions which Christians, and especially those who are new to Christian identity, often pose in relation to one of the most pressing and obvious questions, which is, what should I do? That question has a few close relatives, such as, what can I do? That is what walking the walk should be all about, figuring out what we should do to serve Christ. If we're Christians, that should be our number one priority, figuring out 
what we can do to serve Christ, because not all of us can do what should be done, and figuring out what must be left up to Christ himself, what must be left to the hand of God, because we as men must realize that without God, we are nothing in essence. Before we answer what we can do, we as Christians have to understand what we must do. And it is clear in the gospel that before we can do anything, we as individuals must be willing to conform ourselves to Christ. One of the promises of the gospel, it's expressed in Paul's letters, is that if we conform ourselves to Christ, the body of Christ will become manifest in the world. You don't see a great building when it's half a million stones lying out in the fields of the neighboring counties. But when it's all put together, it's a great building. The Apostle Peter calls each of us stones in the body of Christ, in his building, the real church of God, if indeed you're an Adamic Israelite descendant. That leads us to a discussion of agreement with Christ, but first I will ask Ryan if he has any comments. No. Uh, continue on, brother. I talked about um, agreement with Christ in the Christogonia Forum, and um, it, it's my own fault, and, and that's going to lead us to a further point in this discussion. It's my own fault for not expressing correctly what I meant by agreement with Christ, because no man can know everything. We all have um, fallible human, if I have to use the term, human minds. We make mistakes. We should be correctable when we make mistakes. When we don't, when we don't accept good, honest correction, that is insolence. And, and we are basically attempting to become our own God because we think that we cannot make mistakes. That's what agreement with Christ is. Agreement with Christ doesn't mean that one should know all things because none of us can know everything. Agreeing with Christ means that we should all be ready and willing to be corrected and reproved and improved by Scripture. Doing that, we will all be humble and concede that God is good so we should follow his will and not our own because none of us are going to save ourselves out of the mess that our race and our society are in. Building a Christian community, agreeing with Christ means that we allow the Bible to supply the language constructs. We should not, and, and I spoke about this last night at length during my um, part eight of my presentation of 1 Corinthians, 
we learn church words or, or the way the world uses words, and, and we attempt to um, interpret Scripture through our perceived meanings of words. And this is one of the reasons for a lot of division in Christianity, even within Christian identity. And we don't go back to understand how the original words were defined, what they meant to their writers and to their speakers. We take it for granted that we understand the definitions, and very often we don't. I'm going to quote um, Zephaniah chapter 3 from verses 8 and 9, and it says, Yahweh speaking to the children of Israel, Therefore wait ye upon me, wait upon the Lord. Wait ye upon me, saith Yahweh, until the day that I rise up to take the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation. Even all my fierce anger, of course this is allegorically speaking, it's the nations are going to be punished, but they're not going to be literally gathered into one place. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy, jealousy for the children of Israel, for our Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Israelite race, and, and related peoples. It's hard to sum up the um, descendants of the children of Israel into one handy phrase. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of Yahweh to serve him with one consent. And, and that phrase, a pure language, I don't think that that means that we are going to magically all speak some new and, and original language when we wake up one morning. I think that's going to mean that we will all come to terms with the Word of God in one way or another and, and agree with what he says that they may all call upon the name of Yahweh to serve him with one consent. Agreeing with Christ allows us as men to agree with each other to define the bounds from Scripture of what we must agree on so that we can have common ground to work from so that we can have a solid foundation upon which to rest our assembly, the assembly of God, our little piece of that great ecclesia. Do you have any comments, uh, I mean, or anything to add to that? I'm sure you will. It, it, yeah, uh, uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to, uh, well, I'm going to read from, uh, Philippians, the second chapter here. You know, you will, this is, I'm going to begin at verse two. You will fulfill my joy that you would be like-minded. Everyone talks about being on the same mind, same, being on the same page. Be like-minded, having the same love in unity, having one understanding. Nothing according to contention Nothing according to empty pride, 
but with humility, esteeming one another above yourselves, each not considering the things of yourselves, but each also the things of each of the others. That's verses 2 through 4 of the second chapter of Philippians. In 1 John 1, 7, well, it says the King James, that to walk in the light as you're in the light and have fellowship one with another. We also know the scripture says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? The agreement must be in Christ. We must agree that Christ is Christ. And what does that mean? Well, Yahweh is speaking to Israel, right? It is the opposite. A Christian is defined by believing that Christ or Jesus or Yeshua is Yahweh in the flesh. Jesus said in 8, John 8 and 24, except you believe I am he, you should die in your sins. You have to believe that Christ is I am. And 1 John 2.22 clearly defines to us who antichrists are, those who deny that Yeshua is Yahweh. That is the number one thing we must agree on, all the little isms and schisms and doctrines and things and theories and theologies that we have, we can assess them, but we must have a unity in Christ, unity of like-mindedness of Christian love for one another, setting aside our own egos and being patient one with another. That's what the scripture tells us. Well, well, right. And if I see you doing something that I, I may not like or appreciate, but the scripture doesn't forbid it, I should leave you alone. I shouldn't even bother you with that. If, if I can't find a, a, a scripture and, and say, Ryan, man, look at this. You really shouldn't be doing that. Well, well then I should leave you alone. Like the Sabbath, right? Saturday, Sunday. Saturday. The truth is the Sabbath is neither what we call Saturday nor what we call Sunday. That's the truth, and that could be established in Scripture. However, some of us insist on the Saturday Sabbath, some of us insist on celebrating a Sunday Sabbath, and, and that's not a problem until we start to beat the, those who disagree with us over the head with, with what day we should celebrate the Sabbath. I'm not going to talk to you because you're one of those Sunday Sabbath keepers. You're, you're, I'm leaving. You're not my friend. That's ridiculous. Right, and that's, uh, that becomes, uh, you know, we, we can all agree, first off, that Christ is God, the Messiah of God, God in the flesh, Yahweh in the flesh. And as far as the Sabbath goes, we can all agree there's not nine commandments. There are ten. And that fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy if one brother believes it's Sunday and the other believes it's Saturday, we can sit and discuss it and debate it. But the point is, the number one rule is we're to love one another, be willing to lay our lives down for one another, look out for one another's best interests, and to be humble one to another and have that, I just read out of Philippians, the second chapter, that unity of love. We're not all going to agree on every point in doctrine and theology. It's how we treat one another. It's how we're going to be judged as Christians. Go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. That, that's exactly why I raised the Sabbath issue, because I have <clears throat> known many identity Christians, among whom it is a point of 
contention. Now, if you're trying to celebrate a Sunday Sabbath and you keep it every week and you believe in your heart that that's the correct day to celebrate the Sabbath, then you are following the commandment to keep holy the Sabbath day to the best of your individual ability. Right. And well, that's right. You know, Christ said the Sabbath is Saturday. Christ says that the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right. So if you're keeping a Sabbath in your heart, you're doing the right thing. And I can't judge you because Paul of Tarsus understood the contention and said, let no man judge you concerning Sabbaths. Right. I, I have been a believer in Saturday, being the seven-day Sabbath, since 1987 when I learned a lot of other things. And I've lost jobs because I wouldn't work on Saturday, even though I've made myself available Sunday and all other times. So I am a seven-day Sabbath, or Saturday, if you want to call it, Sabbatarian, and have been for many years. And yet your listeners can hear that I fellowship with you and call you my Christian brother and my friend. Well, well that's absolutely true. And, and I've never um, chosen a day because I understand that, that our day pattern differs from that of the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, the um, people in Kentucky, um, Don Elmore's church, the Fellowship of God's Covenant people, they celebrate a Sunday Sabbath. So I go to Kentucky, and, and I speak in their church on a Sunday and had a wonderful Sabbath. And... and um, I, I, that's because I'm in their house. So if I can't prove the Sabbath should be on some other day, then when I come to their house, I'm going to go along with them. Well, right. That's, that's respect one for another. That's Galatians 5.15 um, tells us not to bite and devour one another. And what happens is we begin to, and the Sabbath, having the many years and decades that I've had as a Seventh-day Sabbath believer, um, you, you will have, I've seen um, Saturday Sabbath people, if you want to call it. We believe that's the seventh day. But I have seen them say, well, you people are taking the mark of the beast if you have Sunday as the Sabbath or you're going to burn the lake of fire because you don't keep the Sabbath. I, I've been down that road. And I don't, it's the same thing with eating, um, eating pork or shellfish or catfish. Uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and bite and devour and beat my brother over the head when the scripture tells me that the, the dividing line is the line that tells me who, who an antichrist is or not, whether they believe that Christ has come in the flesh, 1 John 2.22 clears it up right quick, quick who an antichrist is. And uh, in the epistle to the Corinthians, we're told to separate from unbelievers and Baal worshipers, or today we don't have actual Baal worshipers, but we have pagans today and people who deny that Christ is, is, uh, is God in the flesh, then we are commanded to separate from there. Once I find that someone, and we agree that Christ is in the flesh, then we'll go from there. And, and Bill, I, I know that you have a, I call it a triad, you have a, a three-point uh, I don't know what, besides triad, you have three points that are very clear, um, and it's a, it's a, you know, I could call it a man-made formula, but it's a, it's a good one to go by on deciding 
who we fellowship with and who we don't. And, of course, is one is the Godhead, that Yahshua is Yahweh in the flesh, and one and the same is God. Right, and that's absolutely necessary, and that's the scripture. Paul called Yahshua Christ the fullness of the divinity bodily. Bodily, physically. And the other two points that you have, and of course you, you've said in numerous times in your podcast, uh, one is we that are racially awake and we understand our Israel identity. There's no compromising with on the Jew, on the on the Jew issue. There's no such thing as a good Jew. And the race issue, understanding not only our race and who we are as Adamites and Israelites, but the other side of the <clears throat> dual sigma. You're either an Adamite or you're not. Right. And if you're not an Adamite, you don't have to believe that the squat monsters came from fallen angels. I'm not going to beat you over the head for that. But this is the book of the race. The King James has generations. Either way, it's a race. This is the book of the race of Adam. From the wide um, group of Adamic nations, the Bible never becomes the story of Scripture and the promises of Scripture never become more general. They only become more specific. So we narrow the field. We don't widen it. We don't go for the big tent. We go for the narrow gate. The promises and and the inheritance of our race, which the entire Adamic race had a share in, is narrowed down to the children of Israel. Now, we could trace those people in history and pretty much know who they are, and the entire story and all the promises of the Bible are specific to them. It's very explicit in Scripture that these promises are specific to them. So if you want to violate that, we cannot have fellowship. So, so those three points, the fact that there's no good Jew, well, the Jews themselves said his blood is on us and our children. The Apostle John told us not even to bid these people Godspeed. In other words, do not speak to even welcome them. He's speaking to welcome them takes a share in their evil deeds. They have been denying the Christ for 2,000 years. If, as Christ says, no good fruit will come from this tree forever, and no bad tree can produce good fruit. If no bad tree can produce good fruit, and we see 80 generations of people who, aside from all their treacherous deeds, that they're wrong, perversions, their usury, their thievery, aside from all that, they still deny Christ, how could you possibly imagine that a good one is suddenly going to pop off that tree? And so those three issues that, that I have that gauge whether or not I could have fellowship with an individual, they're all firmly grounded in Scripture. 
aside from the um, explicit sins, like fornicators that are to be put out of the assembly and, and things like that, those three issues are, are crucial to, to um, beneficial and edifying Christian fellowship. We can't be divided on them. We can disagree about just about everything else that's not explicit in the Scripture. We can disagree on when to celebrate the Sabbath because we can't prove if it's Saturday or Sunday. We can disagree on, on many things, but we can't disagree on those three issues. Absolutely. Um, now, um, you uh, you and I were talking about this program um, the other day, and you you, you brought up a, a point that um, I would like for you to expound upon in, in this uh, podcast, if you would. You're talking about word definitions, and uh, sometimes we think that we're on the same page with someone, and uh, though we may agree on the the oneness of, of God and, and uh, Christ being Yahweh, uh, there may be some other things that seem to, we, we, we think we're on the same page, and, and you may for years think you're on the same page with a fellow Christian on something, and then something comes out and you find out you both have two different ideas of the definition of a word. Right, that that that's happened quite often. And in fact, um, yeah, you know, when, when before I came out into the world from prison, I, I imagined that everybody who called themselves dual C line or two C line understood the race issue that the that the woman seed were only white people. The Bible was only about that Adamic race, and, and they could all be identified as white people, all those Genesis 10 nations. And, and that the field is narrowed from there to the, down through the Hebrews, through Abraham, to the children of Israel, a very small part of the white Adamic race. And, and that Anybody that called themselves two seed line would never try to squeeze any bastard or anybody from any other race in on those promises. And, and it absolutely um, appalled me when, after being out and working with certain individuals for two years, that they didn't have that same idea about two seed line. And, and that's a hard lesson I learned, that when we use words and, and terms and we don't agree on what they mean ahead of time, that we could actually have a conversation and seem to be agreeing when really we only think we're agreeing with each other because when I say a word, you interpret it in a different manner and accept it, but you don't think what I mean, and I don't know how you think because you're interpreting the word differently. So sooner or later, we're going to be on a collision course, and, and we're going to have a disagreement over something related to that term because we didn't both understand it by the same definition up front. And, and that's, I've seen many manifestations of that in my five years of doing this and, and, and of um, close associations with other identity Christians. 
Well, uh, you know, um, that brings us to a, to another point. I know there's different things you and I wanted to cover tonight, but the whole um, intercourse with other uh, other Christian identities. The communication, when we communicate, and, and uh, if at all possible, if you can physically go meet other Christian identists, if, if they're in your same neighborhood, you're in the same county, or in your same state, or if you can travel, um, you know, you and I were talking about a brother, young brother, uh, that made an effort to uh, come see me from a couple of states over. Um, you know, to fellowship and to discuss the, the word of Yahweh and, and to get to know one another, if at all possible, do that. Because uh, if any, and if you can't physically, that's understandable, but if you can, anyone that you uh, have some sort of communication with, whether it's over the Internet or the telephone or what have you, you, you need to make that quality time and, and, and uh, really find out what each other believes, and, and if there's some things you disagree on or you agree on or whatever, you're not going to know if all you do is you just cover the general, yeah, the damn Jews, yeah, the white race is the supreme race, yeah, I hate them homosexuals, yeah, the Federal Reserve is, is the Jewish banking industry, and, and that's as far as you go in your, your theology and all you talk about then you're going, to have, you're going to keep things very general among each other, and you never get down to the nuts and bolts of what it is to be a Christian. And what, it, you know, Yahweh had put us here, as you always say, Bill, he put us here to, uh, to learn what sin is. <laughs> but at the same time, our job as a Christian is, okay, we know what sin is. We, we got that down. But we choose not to live that life as, as we want to walk away from that and walk on, on the straight and narrow path. We need to understand what righteousness is and seek God's wisdom and not man's carnal wisdom and philosophies and what have you. Uh, when you start getting down and you get into the meat uh, of the scripture and you're fellowshipping with other Christians, you're going to come across things that you disagree on or uh, what, whatever, as long as you keep your discussions general and in faith, you're never your relationship is never. It's like a, uh, it, it's like a relationship with in a marriage. There are some some marriages where the relationships are kept. The spouses keep it very safe. They never really argue. But the reason they never really argue sometimes is they never really express any. any Frustration, and they need, and over time that marriage goes to hell because they, even though they never argued, it still goes to hell because they never really shared themselves with each other. And Christians need to be doing that with one another and dis, and discussing things. Don't be afraid to bring up differences with one another and discuss it because if it's done as the Scripture commands in a spirit of love and unity, such as in the second chapter of Philippians, I read. When it's done in that way, in a humble manner towards one another, even if you just you truly believe you're right on on the Sabbath issue or whatever it is, still treat you cannot bite and devour, you cannot browbeat, you cannot be Pharisaical and be uh, arrogant to your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to understand that we all have the same heavenly Father. That that's what I would call. Um 
positive Christianity, and, and let me define that term because that term is a popular term from the last century, and I'm not going to use it in quite the same manner. Positive Christianity to me is all is putting into practice all of the talk about brotherly love and edifying the, the children of God, the assembly of Christ, the body of Christ, all of that talk, walking that walk, that is positive Christianity. Positive Christianity is becoming a living um, replication of the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. That's positive Christianity. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, there is negative Christianity, and I'm going to coin this term tonight because negative Christianity is not necessarily bad. Open the hood of your car, look at your battery. You've got a positive battery cable, you've got a negative battery cable. You remove one of them, the car ain't going to start. You need them both. Negative Christianity is an awareness of the, the, the treachery of the Jews, the princes of this world, the nature of our enemies, the real purpose in our lives for these squat monsters and jungle savages that we're being overrun with. Understanding all of that, I'm going to term that negative Christianity. Most people in Christian identity, at least, especially it seems that the people that, that come into my um, area in, in Christiania, they are doctorates. They hold doctorates in negative Christianity. They understand the Jews. They understand the squat monsters. They understand the apes. They know what's going on. But a lot of them aren't so good at positive Christianity. They don't really, if they, even when they talk the talk, they don't always walk the walk and conform themselves in the manner in which Christ told us that we should and get out there and do positive things for their brethren and, and, and their community. And do, um, there's an example in, in the Christianity Forum of a man who just took his week's vacation, went to Maine, and stacked firewood for an elderly woman. And it took him, him and his wife took the whole week to do that. Now, now that's probably, in the long run, a much greater um, rewarding vacation than going to friggin' Bermuda for a week on a Jew cruise and, and, and floating around the Mediterranean. And, and spending three or four thousand dollars going to Maine and helping that that elderly woman that is an expression of positive Christianity when people see you do things like that you become even if you don't mean to be, you're not doing it to promote yourself, you become that shining light on a hill that's going to attract fellow Christians and true members of our race to you to want to emulate those deeds. That's positive Christianity. Right. Our lives... Are to it, it, Christianity is not just a 
well, it's something I believe. It's in your head. It's, um, it's what you think, it, it, all that. It is a way of life. And a lot of people will have these. You know, you talk about the positive and the negative. It's a, a lot of people are very logical you know, about their Christianity, but there's no passion. Now, I don't mean they have to jump up and down and say, you know, praise Jesus and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing wrong with that either. But there's no passion in their life itself towards Christ, excited about Christ. They never step out in faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith, not by logic. <laughs> they live by faith. Um, it is, it's, it's, uh, Christianity is the way. There's a lot of false ways out here in, in the world, and they, the love and light movement and all these so-called love movements in the 60s. You had the hippie movement, the flower child movement, and all these movements in the 80s, the New Age movement, and, and of course, it's progressing to what? The love and light movement. And it's all this stuff about this, all the surfing love, 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 love. The Judeo churches are all about love, 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 love. Um, but it's all, it's, it's fake, of course. True love is not an emotion. Oh, you can feel it. But emotion isn't. Love is something you do when you don't feel it. You, you, uh, people always want to put limits and, and put these uh, standards that they have. Well, I'm not going to do this for that person because they believe this. Or I'm not going to do that for this person because they don't do that. You know, I know for a fact, that there are so-called Christians and Christian identities, and maybe some of them listening tonight, they will never help a brother out or a sister out financially, even though they got money to spare, because that brother, oh, he's poor because he didn't go get a, a, an education or diploma, or he won't go work at McDonald's. Well, have you ever thought that maybe McDonald's won't hire him? And you're, you're always finding reasons not to help a brother or a sister that's financially struggling, well, let me tell you a story. And this is a true story from a Christian identity sister that I just heard this week. She and her husband, they have a baby. They're a young couple. And they were broke down in their pickup truck and overheated. White people drove by them. White people walked right by the broken down, overheated pickup truck. But a homeless guy walks up and says, hey, what's going on? He says, listen, in my bag, i got a couple of bottles of water. Will that help? A homeless man was going to help this young couple. And, and that's a disgrace to everybody that, that drove by. How many of them white people that walked by and drove by that young couple, that baby in a pickup truck, is broad daylight, called themselves Christian. Well, well, in rural Missouri, I would think that would probably be all of them. And, and Your religion. James one twenty seven tells us to visit the orphans and the widows and to keep ourselves unpolluted from the world. Now, by the way, helping the orphans and widows, that also includes helping the poor guys and the handicapped, the people that are having a hard time. The Bible says you have this, this world's goods, and that don't mean just money. It can mean maybe you can make a phone call for someone. Maybe you can help someone get a job. Maybe you can do something else for something. Maybe all you can do is pray for them. A word of education, email to pick them up, anything. 
You should be so busy with orphans and the widows and the poor and your brothers and sisters that you're not going to be interested in taking that God-given money to go off on a cruise or frivolous things that pollute you when it tells you in James 1.27 to take care of the orphans, the widows, the poor, those struggling, your fellow brothers and sisters, be about your father's business, in other words, and keep yourself unpolluted from the world. The world's always looking for what can I get. Well, I worked hard. I deserve this vacation. If you got that kind of money, and there's single uh there's these young couples or single mothers. There's people out here that need help, but you bitch and don't like the government's welfare programs. What are you doing, Christian, to show? Don't don't talk and bitch. That's negative Christianity. You're bitching about the negative part of, of this world. What are you doing to say, hey, I'm the light of the world. I, I'm, I'm one of the lights of, of Christ. What am I doing to show here's a better way. How can we take care of our own folks and show that we can do this? Right. If you're an identity Christian and you're going on Mediterranean cruises, there's a problem because you should be taking that, that money and, and doing something constructive with it for your brethren. If you, um, if you have $4,000 to spend on a cruise to Bermuda, you don't need that $4,000. You should give that to some young white family with white children that does need it, regardless of whether they're identity Christians or not, as long as you know, they're not going to spend it on crack. And, and, and that's what we should be doing like that. I've seen a, um, Bill, I've seen a, a Christian minister, <coughs> excuse me, and he posted something. Uh, I really like this. It's kind of a paraphrase of what he had posted on Facebook. He was talking about, uh, you know, Christians, it's, it's a good thing that we should look to the, the – we're not saying don't enjoy yourself, but understand you, you must enjoy yourself in, in, in the in righteous modesty. Uh, it's a good thing. The Bible tells us it's, it's always one of the blessings Yahweh's promises is what? He'll give you food. The Bible tells us that wine makes the heart merry. Food, wine, music. The Bible talks about music. David was a, was a musician, and he danced. And he was a songwriter. Marriage, family. And, of course, Bill, you know this. I'm big about health and exercise and fitness. Home and community. Those things. That is what you should be enjoying. I, I don't comprehend. I've never owned a vehicle. I'm 47 years old. I've never owned a vehicle that cost over $1,500. So a $4,000 vacation, I don't comprehend that. I don't understand that. It would seem like you could take that $4,000 and there's so many other things that you could do. You can't, you can't tell me that there's not people around you, elderly or young couples or single people, it don't matter, that don't need some help. And like Bill said, if they're not Christian, one of the greatest witnesses you can do is to help them. But we always find excuses not to help. And 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 that is just an deferring. What we're basically um, telling God that the kingdom of heaven can wait till tomorrow. That we just want to go out and have a good time right now. 
That's exactly what it is, brother. That's exactly what people are doing. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 2, not to conform to this world. Well, the world would say, you worked hard. You deserve that $4,000 vacation or that $4,000, I don't know, what, what a bass boat or some ridiculous, immature, grown-up toy. And I'm not saying don't buy things for yourself and enjoy your money and enjoy simple things of life. That's, those are blessings that Yahweh gives you. But he also gives you blessings with responsibility. You have to conform to this world, not let your mind conform to this world. That's what Romans 12, 2 tells us. We're supposed to have our mind upon the kingdom of Christ. We don't like this world out here. We can identify the wickedness and the evil all day long. Well, that's the negative part of that battery. The positive is we're like, um, dare I say, we're like, we're like the, the lightning bolts or something. <laughs> we need to energize and, and put ourselves out there and, and show people what's the right way things could be done by our life, not by our words, but by our behavior. Well, well, there's an old adage, and I'm going to repeat it. You are what you eat. Now, a lot of the, um, the negative Christianity Christians, they spend a great deal of their time on um, online conspiracy websites, reading things like American Free Press or the Daily Stormer, or, or I'm not saying those outlets are bad, but you have to balance the positive Christianity with the negative Christianity. The negative Christianity, the, the, the understanding of what our enemies are doing to us, that's fine and necessary, but the positive Christianity is... It's probably a lot more important because if we all practiced the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount and all of the advice of the apostles based upon that same philosophy, the enemies would go away. That They wouldn't be able to um, cause so much difficulty and, and persecution for us. Right. It's, we have to identify, we have to diagnose the problem, the sickness, whatever it is, before we can fix it. But you know, I can't sit here and just keep pointing, yep, that car is in the ditch. Yep, Dad, burn it. He shouldn't have been driving so fast on these wet roads. He drove himself into the ditch. Yep, he's in the ditch. Oh, that's just screwed up. He's in the ditch. Look how horrible that is. He's in a ditch. He should have never put himself in the ditch. That car's in the ditch. He's stuck. He can't go nowhere. Instead of saying, hey, let's all get over here and see if we can help push this guy out of this ditch. If you can identify a problem, the Jews, it's the Jews. If you can identify a problem, give me the solution. Because the Jews have no power except our behavior has allowed Father Yahweh, who is in control of the Jews. You see, the Jews can't do anything except Yahweh allow it. And he's allowing it. Because our own behavior as a people, as a race, as a nation, has brought this on. The Jews, the Federal Reserve, and all these conspiracies, yeah, point them out. That's, what, that, that, that's bad. So say, hey, here's the solution. Don't charge usury. Live within your needs. 
Help your brother when he's when he financially needs it. Give him a loan and don't expect the payment back. There are a lot of good Christians in 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 my um in my little world, and and I know there are. Or, or um I probably wouldn't be here tonight. The um the problem is that there there, there simply aren't enough. I would say that probably ninety percent of the people that I deal with don't accentuate positive Christianity in their lives. You are what you eat. Read the gospel because your mind eats the bread of life when you do. You want to conform yourself to Christ. You should be reading scripture, at least some segment of scripture, every single day. And, and and not just a verse or two verses, but a chapter. It takes 10 minutes to read Matthew chapter 5. It, it takes less than that to read and, and any edifying chapter, James chapter 2, that's an edifying chapter in, in respect of what we're saying. It takes just a few minutes to do that. And, and reading the scripture, read a psalm, it takes 10 minutes. And, and doing that, you will find, once you've done that enough, that you will change as a person for the positive, that, that what you eat will nourish your mind. And, and um, you will have the, 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 the answers when you need them and, and, and find ways to do things that you didn't do before. And, and practice that positive Christianity that we all fall short of. If we didn't all fall short of it, we wouldn't be in this predicament today. So, so the negative Christianity is important, but the positive Christianity, what we should be doing for each other and, as um, kindred is far more important. Well, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so is he. And that's, I like that, you know, how you worded that. Um, reading the scripture is, is the bread of life, and you are what you eat. And that's right. It's what you put in your mind. And so all you do, and I have a background. I When I was younger, I read all the conspiracy books I could get a hold of and watch the old VHS conspiracy tapes, you know, and um, all that kind of, all, all that sort of thing. Okay, you know, there's these conspiracies. Some of them were of course, wrong, but some of them are correct. But, and it can lead you to these, you know, rabbit holes chasing the all loose of Illuminati. But um, that stuff, it will drag you down if that's all you put into your mind as well. Um, Bill, uh, I want to get back to, um, you know, you were talking about the bricks, and, and I like your analogy if the bricks are all over the place all over the field, it makes no sense, but if they're used together, they, uh, they make, a, make a building. We, we, we must work on building community. And that means in, in, in locally or what's practical for each one of you according to your situation. Some, of, some people, their only community is the cyber community because they live in such a very rural area or what have you. But it's like Christ said, that where two or three are gathered in my name, there is a mess. You know, community can be just two or three people. But if all Christians worked and strove 
and, and ask Father Yahweh in prayer. Ask him. If you don't have anybody to fellowship with around you, pray. He may have you move to another area, another place. Or he may have other people come around. Or there may be people you didn't know in your area that all of a sudden Father just had you cross paths and you end up you become a half fellowship. I have, as I discussed the last time we did this uh, part one of this program, for years I had a regular Bible study and fellowship. And uh, we made weekends of it. It was every two weekends for years. And we did Bible study. We prayed together. We hung out. We, we spent time together. Um, and now that you know, I moved, now I'm in a rural area, and, you know, the people I talk to here, what few people I, I'm able to talk to, you know, they're, they're Judeo-Christian. Oh, they're, they're worldly not interested. Well, you pray about it, pray about it, and it looks like I will be moving around the first of the year. Oh, and I will actually get to be around some fellow Christians. We have, but you have to have that desire to build a community the scripture is very clear, and there's no way around it in Hebrews 10.25. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves, especially as you see the day drawing nigh. Now, that was written almost 2,000 years ago. I would say we see the day drawing a lot more near now than the writer of Hebrews, Paul, did back then. So we certainly do not need to be finding reasons not to fellowship and assemble whenever possible with one another because there is that important, you know, the scripture tells us to give one another a holy kiss, to kiss one another in Christ. You can't hug your brother, shake his hand, and give him a holy kiss on the cheek. Unless you're physically there with him, we cannot do like the ill ladies done for in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Well, they do it to this day, right? Where they watch the televangelists because they can't go to church. They're too old. They can't drive or whatever. So their church is watching TV. The, the TV preachers, that went on for years. But now you have the internet and people think, well, this is church. No, you, 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 you get some information, you learn things, but you're not fellowshipping. And we must not, it says so in Hebrews 10, 25, forsake the assembly. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself. And like I said, I'm in a situation, if you don't have anybody and you've tried with your neighbors and there's nobody, pray and Father, we will send you someone. Or, or somebody's, or he will open doors for you to move, to be around brethren. So you don't forsake the assembling. It, the Internet, a lot of people have become dependent upon the Internet. Just like I said years back, old ladies used to depend on TV for their church. It's church time, and it would be, some, it'd be uh, uh, Swagger or somebody on TV. Now people, all the Internet, okay, I read a few things, I've listened to some podcasts. No, that's not the same as physically interacting with other Christians. Well, let me say something in response to that. Let me tell a story. Even I, um, I've had this experience myself, and, and um, about how difficult it is to to um, find fellowship in a rural area, or, or even. In, in a big town like Bristol, 
and and how um how we have the wrong attitude about that, even myself at times, because it's it's pretty exasperating when you can't find anybody with any damn sense that will listen to you. It, it really is. It gets old. The um the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter seventeen. He's walking through the um. The, the streets leading into the city of Athens. In Paul's day, Athens had been the center of Greek philosophy, education, learning, all of the sophistry in the world. Athens was far beyond what, what New York or London would be today. It was the epicenter of, of Greek paganism in Paul's time. And, and it had been for 500 years years. The collection point, the, the cesspool or sewer, if you'll have it, of all of the pagan Greek philosophies. And Paul's walking down this, this road into Athens and he sees all these pagan temples and he didn't throw his arms up in the air and say, I'm not going to find fellowship here. He, he in the face of, of all this adversity, he went and, and very boldly preached the gospel in front of, before the Areopagites. And, and that's um, an ancient Greek law court that, that where Paul spoke on Ayers Hill. And, and all of the um, great learned minds of, of the Greeks who were in Athens probably heard Paul speak. And Paul's speech was probably... Ten times longer than the little bit that Luke had recorded in the book of Acts. So that's the example that we have. That's if, if we can't find fellowship in our area, we're not getting out and trying hard enough to create fellowship. Now, I know people, good, good people who are close to me, who... who um, have family in, in, in the, the, the upper classes, the educated classes, and they speak to them about Christian identity all the time. And all the time, they're shut out. But they keep trying. They don't give up. They stick to their guns. We, if we, no matter where we live, if we complain that we're, we don't have fellowship, it's because we're looking for something instant. We don't want to work for it. You have to get out and create fellowship. You find people who, will, who are called to listen to this message. And, and when you find those people, they will listen. That, that's the way it is. It, if you live in a small town or, or in a big city, and, and you don't have anybody who lives around you that understands you, it's because... You have to go out and find people that will listen to you and understand you so that you could fellowship and teach them. That's how the body of Christ grows. That's how the apostles did it. That They didn't um, walk into a, a Thessalonica or, or a Philippi and all of a sudden a whole bunch of Christians appeared because God just reached down and magically touched these people and, and they became Christians. They went out and worked to build their little church groups. They worked hard to do that and they were persecuted doing it 
and, and they were hated for it, and, and that's the cross that Christians have to carry. If you want fellowship, get off your butt and go make fellowship. And it's hard. It's not easy. But you can do it. That's the model we have from Scripture. That's how we should be doing it. The, um, it it's been told, and, and it's even in, in the Christianity Forum in, in this thread that I got the idea for the series of programs from, that, that we need a plan, and that not having a plan will inevitably lead to failure. Well, we cannot fail, because God tells us that we, meaning white Christians, are going to prevail. The plan is partially revealed in Scripture. I say partially because we are not told when, but we are only told what, how, and why. And Christ said explicitly we would not be told when. It is not yours to know the times. For our part, the instructions are in that Sermon on the Mount. The instructions are in the letters of the epistles of Peter, Paul, and James. Most Christians get the identity part, and, and that's for some, that, that is important to the negative aspect of Christianity that I had explained, but they don't, that they forget about the Christian part, which is more important to the positive aspect of Christianity, following Christ. Like a body, we all have different functions and we all have different roles to play. We should all play our roles according to the precepts laid out by Christ with humility, and we will not all be doing the same thing. Otherwise, we are not different body parts, and the analogy fails. It's always been my plan, and, and I would be happy if a hundred people read Christogenia and got it. I'd be thrilled if it were a thousand. And they all went and, and took the information they found and went out and started their own Bible studies and, and built, developed, because it takes time, develop a circle of like-minded friends and kindred and had Bible studies where they disseminated this information. And there would be a hundred or a thousand new little CI groups. But they should never be organized. We should never write down names, make, um, a, make organizations, make ranks. We don't want to mimic the world. Paul of Tarsus, I'm certain, did not keep a list of Christian assemblies in his back pocket and, and all of their bishops and ministers and officers and members. He didn't assign um, ranks to each of them. He, he didn't make archbishops. Any of that, when we see any of that, we should reject it because it's, it's not organic, it's not natural, and it's some clown trying to make a, a, um, an organization so that he could call himself the head of it. And, and that's not what Christianity is all about. What we should be tens or hundreds or, God willing, thousands of, of little pockets of Christians in diverse places all attempting to win our brethren over 
to our worldview. That's what Christianity was in the first century. That's how it got started. That's what it's all about. And that's what we have to emulate today. That's our model. And big websites are only... That, that, that it's, people can find fellowship at Christagenia to a point they could get on a chat server, they could go to the forum, but that shouldn't substitute for real face-to-face fellowship. That should only be a conduit of information regarding history and scripture and language and things like that, and, and a place to exchange ideas and you take that to the street and put it into practice. That's what you do with the gospel message. Well, and uh, every every person that you interact with, well, any, any you spend any any time with them at all when you get to talking to them, and I know that most people listening to this program probably do this. They find a way to get the conversation going into, well, the topic, the way, the real topic that matters in this life, Christianity, the Bible, Yahweh, the truth. Uh, and in so doing, you constantly are doing that. And, uh, and like you said, Bill, you, um, you don't give up. You keep on hammering at the same people and one one. one whether it's relatives or whoever it is, sooner or later they're going to stop wanting to talk to you all together or they're going to uh, start seeing some of the things you're saying. I, I know that from my own personal experience in life. And um, I always like to use the example of Elijah there. And he was a fugitive from injustice. <laughs> and he, he told God in, 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 uh, in Kings 19.4, that he was alone, you know, I, I'm alone, and they're out to kill me. And in verse 18 of chapter 19 of First Kings, Yahweh told him, I got 7,000 men reserved. Father's got people. And our job is just to be out there the best you can, witnessing and speaking the, the truth. And, and I understand that, you know, if you don't have, you know, one person that will fellowship with you and, and, and be a fellow Christian, well, like I said, pray about it. And sooner or later, I believe, the Father is not going to leave you with without, you know, two or three to fellowship with. Eventually, they're going to come around. You keep staying faithful to standing up for the truth, or Father will have you move. You've done your time there. But, you know, a, a little side note in Luke, the ninth chapter, the disciples will ask uh, Christ, uh, should we call fire down from heaven on this uh, on this community that uh, wasn't embracing the, the gospel from Christ? And Christ rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner spirit you are. So we've got to be careful and not get self-righteous. And we also have to remember that a lot of us didn't come to the truth overnight. And sometimes, like in my case, it took more than once for me to, to for finally to understand what it was that I was being shown. Um, so you have to have a patient, a patient heart, a patient 
the Spirit about you. You have to remember the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, happiness. It's not negativity and anger and rage and frustration. Not that you're not going to have those emotions and feel them. And, Bill, you're talking about negative, uh, the negative aspect. You know, I guess some people might think we're talking about dualism, and it's a dualistic aspect. It's true that you're going to have love and hate. I always tell people you can't have love if there's not something that you hate. If you don't hate that which you love or who you love, then that's not love. You're going to naturally hate if you have love. But your hatred should come from your love for what it is or who it is that you love. And so <laughs> that's, a, that's the understanding your love and your hate. Well, the negative and the positive, being able to identify the wickedness of this world. Okay, we live in Sodom and Gomorrah. We live in Egypt. We live in Babylon. We got that. But don't make that your Christianity where all you do is post on the Internet or talk all the time about the negative things, the Jews and, and the niggers and the sticks and, and the fags and all that and the tyranny of the government, if you're not going to say, hey, but look, here's the positive aspect. Here's the right way things will be done. Here's what's good. Here's what's wholesome. Here's what's righteous. Right. And if you want to see posts on Facebook about fags in the street and gay pride parades all the time and pictures of that stuff, or do you want to see pictures of white families and children and, and husbands and wives hugging each other and, and, and you know, people doing positive things, what do you want? That is the positive aspect. So we need to be pointing to the positive aspect and the hope, which is in Christ. Every time you point to something negative, I suggest you point two or three times to two or three different things that are positive and the hope that's in Christ and the good things to come and what is wholesome and righteous that you can be doing now and encouraging from your fellow whites now. And that's where we get our Christian satisfaction and our sense of fulfillment from, from edifying the body of Christ. The negative aspect is crucial to our survival, but the edification of the body of Christ is more crucial. We're called to stand for the kingdom of God or the government of God. And we are called to form or to fight for Christian culture, civilization, Christian precepts, and the truth. But the word fight does not need to be like a negative thing, fighting the evil, the bad, and all that stuff. You can be fighting for the good and working and striving and putting effort and showing people the better way. Work on your, your family life, your marriage. Uh, I myself, I, I raised a young man. Um, he wasn't my blood son. He was my stepson, and I believe he's listening tonight. Um, but I raised him. He's a young man in his 20s now. And uh, he's had some sacrifices because he was raised with this truth. He grew up, I, I, no doubt in my mind, that he's read more of the Bible than a lot of so-called Christian identists. And the reason I know is because every weekend – he read from the Bible, he read out loud, and he didn't just, I didn't have him just read a chapter or two every weekend from the Bible as a young man. 
I would stop him sometimes and I'd say, okay, did you understand that word? Or let me explain that verse to you. Or let me explain that chapter to you. And so it wasn't just you read out loud and they go play. We spent a couple of hours every weekend when he was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. And the young man, I know for a fact, has read the first seven books of the Bible. He's read Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. He's read the four Gospels, books out of the New Testament, including the book of Revelation. How do I know he's read those? Because he read them out loud to me, and I would stop, and I would interject and explain things, or he would ask, what does that word mean, or what does that mean there in that verse? He also read a chapter out of Mein Kampf out loud. So you have this interaction. Well, to this day, he's a young man in his early 20s, and he's just recently had to, uh, well, he's had a uh, breakup with the young lady that he was with because she couldn't take, he took a stand for Christ in on race, and she couldn't take his stand against homosexuality. And you're going to lose people and things and jobs because of your beliefs. But he was raised that way, and if he's still listening tonight, I want to let him know that I love him very much, and I'm very, very proud. That shows me the efforts that I put through him every, every weekend. And through the week, I worked with him. I talked to him about the word. The, the word. He, he, he attended my Bible studies, of course, through the years with, uh, with the people that came to my Bible studies. He, he went to clan rallies with me in Aryan Nations meetings when I was a, a member of Aryan Nations. He was raised with this, but he was also raised in a Christian home and taught not to lie, to steal, to covet not to put the world, the materialism first, but God first. And he told me uh, about 30 minutes before this program tonight, he told me, he said, he said yep, he says, I, I, he says, my beliefs matter more to me than any woman or anything. Well, well saying, that, that is crucial because you don't want children that are being raised by a woman that, that embraces and defends homosexuals. Well, I also have some experience with that, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> It, it, well, well, that's you know that's what Paul hits on in 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 one Corinthians chapter seven. If the unbeliever won't concede to to um, living with a Christian, and and that takes a tolerance for the Christian imposing Christianity in the household, because a Christian can't remain in a non-Christian household. That the if the unbeliever would rather depart, let him or her depart. It, it's um, unfortunate that any white person won't accept the truth of the gospel and remain and learn and, and exceed that Christ and God are good. But if they're going to defend homosexuals, Paul would tell us to put the homosexual out of the assembly. Deliver such a one to Satan for destruction of the flesh. And the body, the spirit, the spirit will live in the day of Christ. That's what we're told to do with sinners. And, and that's a Christian obligation to put. Oh, yeah. Bill, you know, it, it's from a month. Uh, in Romans, uh, it speaks to those that even take pleasure in that wickedness. So right. if you're not a homosexual, but you, you support it, then you're taking pleasure in that. Absolutely. You're giving license to it. You're agreeing. You're supporting it. You're defending it. And you're just as worthy of death as the homosexual. 
You know, Christ said he came to, he didn't come to bring, here he is, the Prince of Peace, and he said he didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword, and that sword, of course, is true, and that it would divide families. See, true Christianity will divide families when you have family members that are spouses, children, what adult children, uh, relatives, what have you, that are not interested in the truth, then so be it. If someone, Apostle Paul said uh, this, is a paraphrase, he says, if, if they're offended in the truth, so be it. And that's, a, and that's right. If it, it, it causes you to lose, you know, Christ said no man has lost property or family or anything like that for the kingdom. Now, if you're standing for the truth and you lose it, that you will not receive, of course, eternal life, but you'll receive blessings here. But you have to stand for the truth in it. You may go through a fiery trial, and you may be all alone for a while, but remember Elijah thought he was alone too. But you've got, you've got to stand for the truth, and yes, it does define families. But I've always told people, my agenda was, I have an agenda. We all have agendas. And my, I've said this for years. I have an agenda, and my agenda is one, and that is Christ. What I was in the Ku Klux Klan, when I was with Aryan Nations, when I was in the Confederate flag, uh, pro-Confederate flag, Southern Heritage Movement, when I lived in the South and spoke at Confederate flag rallies and such, I always told the people that I was around, I have one agenda. And they'd go, what, you know, what's that, a race or whatever? And I'd go, no, my agenda is Yahweh God. Everything I do is to bring him glory. And that's the way you have to be. Bill, you talked about uh, you talked about uh, these groups and things like that. And as you know, in my my older YouTube videos and things that I've talked about, as far as uh, my my videos speaking about uh, non-statism and anarchism, things like that, you're talking about organically organized ecclesias, of which I had one. Um, they just happen. They, you, you speak with people, you share your beliefs, and, and you find you have common ground, and you say, well, you want to have Bible study and, and uh, fellowship and prayer together and, and things like that, and yeah, well, okay, and you start doing that. And you, you may have, the Bible says that let all things be decently and done decently in order, and you have your own little structure of how maybe you do it. And you may have a building you have a meeting in, or like me, in the house, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter. You can be, you can have a set time. I always had a set time. They began at a certain time that I would begin, and sometimes I'd be in the middle of a sermon, and someone would, you know, they arrive late or whatever. You can have certain, but that has to be for that group, certain little rules or however you want to do that as a group. But it, they need to be organized organically. It doesn't need to be anyone trying to lord any, over anyone. And I absolutely believe that Yahweh God does give us, it says in Jeremiah 3.15 and Jeremiah 23.4, for example, um, that Yahweh God will give us pastors or shepherds. And Acts 20 and 2 talks about shepherds watching over the flock. That's our preachers, our pastors, our teachers, things like that. Ezekiel, in chapter 3 and in chapter 33, he referred to them as watchmen. 
Uh, we know in the New Testament they're referred to as pastors and evangelists and teachers and elders, things like that. Yahweh does have this organic structure. Uh, I did a video long ago on my YouTube channel. I don't know if I still have it up, called Natural Hierarchies. There is a natural hierarchy or order in community. Our elders, uh, there are men that Yahweh, his spirit moves upon them. Failure are a perfect example of a man that Yahweh has called to do what you do. And he anoints these people with his Holy Spirit, and they are our natural organic leaders. They're not rulers. As it says in Acts, they're not to rule over you, over the flock of God that he purchased with his own blood, is what it says in Acts 20. Right. But none of it. That Yahweh's opened their minds, and their full-time job, like with you, Bill, their full-time job is to study and to break stuff down so we can read what you've written or listen to your podcast. These are men that Father gives us to help us. They're not our rulers. They're not our cult leaders. We don't have to... Uh, follow them or even agree with everything they say, but they're still anointed men of God that God gives us that help to edify. They are part of the body just as much as other people are parts of the body of Christ, all having our own thing to do. And all of you listening have at least one talent that you know you're good at or you have the ability to get good at if you applied and trained and worked yourself at it. I have certain gifts. Bill has certain gifts. Everyone has certain gifts. And you dedicate those gifts some way, somehow, to edifying and helping the body of Christ. That's community building. And, and that's what we should all be focused on all the time. It is um, talking to people around us, feeling them out. What we don't have to um, slap them in the face. What with um, <laughs> what with examples of of the negative aspects, the Jews, the Negroes, but. We can say things which are going to catch their attention, and when we have their attention, we could take it to the next level. And, and if they don't go along, fine. Then brush the dust off your feet and move on. But you should be bringing this message to people in the street. The frequency doesn't matter. It might be one guy at the barber shop this month and, and, and another woman at the bakery next month or somebody at Walmart. You bump into an aisle and you say something to them and, and if it resonates with them, that then you'll be able to take it to the next step. It is, um, I, I found um, many people in prison doing that same thing and, and a lot of them listen to my programs today. That, that's, and a lot of them just simply hated on me because they thought I was an, an, an evil racist or something like that. that that's the way it is. And, and um, we have to try to create those organic communities at the personal level. And and the websites, um, my website isn't the only 
Good Christian Identity website. There are, there are plenty of others that they should only be seen as a, a place to learn from and, and information conduit. You might find um, something you need on a specific topic. You might find a whole breadth of material that you need on many different um, I, I wouldn't advise all Christian identity websites are good. A lot of them certain are not, certainly are not, but a lot of them do have value, especially in certain areas. So it, it's, we should see them as, as libraries. You, you don't go to the library to, to, um, to live. You go to the library to get a book because you want to read a book. So, so you, the website is an information conduit. That's its primary purpose. But your Christian identity faith isn't on Facebook. It isn't on Stormfront. It isn't even in the Christianian forum. It's on the street. It's walking the walk. It's not sitting the walk. Yeah, there is something that um, I just want to throw out there for the listeners. just as an idea, because I'm an idea kind of guy. I'm always throwing ideas out. Um, That it would be nice if Christian identists who are able to do it, they got the, you know, the the, the space or the property or or whatever, it would be nice, and and I would do it if I had the ability. If I don't, I, I would love to do it, but I just, Yahweh just hasn't given me the ability to do so. But, um, and I've never had the property to do it, but if it's possible, just like uh, with my old, um, my, my background in the past with, with uh, you know, the Aryan Nations and the Ku Klux Klan stuff, if people have donated their you know, their their land or their yard or their field or whatever and their home and they welcomed people from wherever they could travel and make a tour or a two day, three day event. And and, and I, I've seen some people that just really just out of their own pocket and out of their own heart. I mean, they set up food, you know, and there would be fellowship. And if it, it, it's possible if there's Christian identists that are listening to this or are going to listen to the recording of this later, if it's possible and they have the, the land and the ability to have once or twice a year functions, you know, in the Old Testament you have the festivals, the feasts. I wonder how many, and I'm not saying keeping the festivals or feasts, I'm not saying you don't you have to do that, but look at the principle that's there. That that convocation, uh, like the, the the feast of tabernacles and, and 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 what have you, where you get together and you fellowship, and you, you spend a day or two, and it'd be in a, a yearly event or twice or, or whatever, or have you know multiple events. If people have, if you have that, if that's all you got, you got lots of land and you got a big house and you're able to rent porta potties or whatever. I, I've seen clansmen do this stuff. If, and Aryan Nations people do this. If you can do that once a year and just say, hey, this is a Christian identity function, and we would love to have Brother William Fink and this this pastor and this guy come and speak and lecture, and we're going to have meals, and we're going to fellowship, and you bring your children, 
and you can you can camp out in tents or sleep in our house or we got a barn you can sleep in or there's a hotel we can reserve whatever it is i would love to see events like that and just throwing that idea out there because there are people who even if you do have one or two people that you get to fellowship with on a regular basis right around you uh and you get to see them on a regular basis at least every week or whatever you could pile up and, and make it a trip, and if you could travel a few hundred miles once a year, maybe twice a year, and let that be your vacation time and fellowship and have face-to-face time, you could get to meet me, you know, my crazy self. Uh, and, you, and then when you are listening to Brother William Fink or someone else or myself or whatever on YouTube or podcast or whatever, you're reading our writings, you can say, hey, I've met this guy. I've got an idea of what he's saying. You know, I can, I, I, there's a connection. That's just an idea I would really like to throw out there. Well, well it's something that would be nice to do, but like you said, it requires resources. It, it's, I, I would be more than happy if somebody had a, um, a Feast of Tabernacles and, and a suitable place to have that to go and, and fellowship in that manner. And, and we should all, be willing to do that. Uh, I've had a policy, if anybody contacts me and, and they're coming to my area, I will go meet them. There are people listening to this program right now who have met me in that manner. And if, if somebody's driving by the Florida Panhandle, wants to stop by Panama City, I'll come see you. Well, we could have a beer, we could have a coffee, we could have lunch. It doesn't matter. We could just sit and and talk on a street corner, and and that that's Christians should never eschew fellowship. A lot of people in Christian identity, I, I can understand some people, certain individuals that I know who who are in positions where they don't really want to be publicized, and that's fine. But even those people readily meet other identity Christians when they are given the opportunity. We should never eschew fellowship. And if we have the opportunity to meet and, and, and um, fellowship with like-minded individuals, if we don't accept that opportunity, we're not authentic. Don't go thinking that you could be a real Christian and keep yourself in seclusion forever. Even John the Baptist, after 30 years, had to come out of the desert. <laughs> That's true. So, so. Well, you know, the, 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 uh, and I have, a, because of my background, I have a survivalist background. Matter of fact, it's called survivalist. I remember what was ever called preppers and prepping. That sounds so yuppy, but anyway. Um, you know, and I'm, not, I'm certainly am not against that because I believe in that, preparing and, and things like that and, and just having emergency supplies put away. That's just being wise. But that should not be your life. That should not be your religion. And people have, and they've done this years back, and I guess they're still sitting there waiting for the end of time. That they'll, they'll build up these retreats, these enclaves, these separatist compounds. I, many years ago, I was young and zealous. I went to a Christian separatist society for a little while, a, a, a little separatist compound, whatever, uh, and, sh- and stayed for a very short time because, well, there was a theological doctrinal disagreement I had. <laughs> but um, they, they will have these retreats, these enclaves, and, and bunker down. And trust me, I love 
uh, I live out in a rural area here, not super secluded. I got neighbors and stuff, but and I love it. But I miss the, the, the fellowship, and, and, and the, it's not worth the isolation. Unbelievers are the ones that are always seeking. Uh, Christ said that you know the world's always seeking food and drink and raiment. But yet Christ said, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and food, drink, and rain, and all these other things will be added unto us. You put God first and seek the kingdom of God first, and he will make sure that your food, your fed, your clothes, and, and things like that. We've got to put God's kingdom first and start living it. That's walking this walk and walking it on a daily basis. Absolutely, and fellowship is a primary part of seeking God's kingdom. That the apostles um, went into the various towns of the, the, the Greco-Roman world and built their own Christian fellowships, and that's our example, and continued to have fellowship with, with the, um, the assemblies that they left behind in their travels. That's our example. And reached out to other Christians they had not yet met. That's the epistle to the Romans. Paul wrote the epistle to the Romans to a group of Christians he didn't meet yet. And laid out all of his primary important points of his theology in that epistle to the Romans, which is a blessing to us today. Paul hadn't met the people that he wrote those things to. He wasn't afraid that they weren't going to agree with him. He wrote them and laid out his theology and, and then promised to come to Rome to meet them. So, so he, he actually ended up, ended up going in bonds, a way that he did not expect. But that, that's um, the risks that we should take that Paul took in Athens, Thessalonica, Philippi, and everywhere else he went, we should be willing to take those same risks in, in the spread of the gospel. And, and we're going to be rejected. And, and most of us are already in a rather humble state. So we have nothing to lose. And, and we should seek to, to build the kingdom in that same organic manner in which the apostles did, because there is no um, there is no magic formula by which all of our race is going to be converted, and and not all of our race is going to know the truth. It, it's pretty um, clear in scripture that Christians Israel will be saved in spite of themselves and not on account of themselves. However, that remnant, those 7,000 men that never bent the knee to Baal, well, those people are, are, are what we seek. And finding those people, it is those 7,000 are much more valuable than, than 7 million wishy-washy people who go along to get along. Brother, we had a uh, we had a brother that mentioned um, that you know he would like uh, more. I, I guess from Chris Aguinia, as we met in the podcast, he would like more um, 
he called it the basics. I guess you call it Christianity 101. More of the basics, and uh, one of the things he brought up was the unclean meat thing. What I would like to say to that, and I followed the meat law once again since 1987, longer than most of you listening. Um, the what I'd like to say is, uh, it's like uh, an old pastor, and he was my first mentor, and he was a friend to me, like an uncle to me, who, who taught me these things, by the way, in, in the 80s. Um, he, he didn't know the identity doctrine, but he had glimpses of it. He knew parts of it. But anyway, he made a good point. He said, you know, we're to be fishers of men. And he said, but you first got to catch the fish before you can scale it. And he said, a lot of people want to shove the, like, certain things like the meat law down people's throats. And I, I personally, and, and you, Bill, you would be familiar with these people if I told you who they were. I watched them try to tell some odinous skinheads one time who had ordered some ham sandwiches. We were all at a cafe together after a white nationalist rally, <clears throat> which I spoke at, and um, we were all sitting there, and, and the skinheads sitting over the table were not Christian identities, didn't even believe in the Bible. And the, an individual who's Christian identity says, you know, got on it for eating pork. And they're all just kind of looking like cross-eyed, like, what are you talking about? Isn't that Jewish? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why would you put that on those men when you haven't even worked with them with, the, with we're talking about basics, the basics like who God really is, and his name isn't Odin or Thor. Um, but once you get someone and, and, and they, they already uh, believe in Christ, and so they're not antichrist, and, and they believe that Christ is kind of the flesh, as far as the meat thing, this is where you fellowship. I mean, you can give them things to read, and I'm just using the meat law as an example. But again, the best way to share that with people is like in Bible studies or, you know, in conversations, sitting around with a cup of coffee or whatever, and discussing the scriptures. But as far as the, the basics, I mean, yeah, you or I, for that matter, we could do a podcast on certain things like the meat law or something. Well, well, we should we should probably do something on the basics. It's it's something to me that I'm not going to say it's below me. It's certainly not. It, oh no, I, I don't mean that. It, it's something that I've always felt it, it was easy to leave to others so that I could concentrate on, on where I think I do best, which is history, language, and, and uh, the, the, the um, study of prophecy and things like that, things that are um, basic, that the, 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 the meat laws and, and um, the Sabbaths and what a Sabbath day should consist of or what's good to do on a Sabbath, what's bad to do on a Sabbath. It, it's easy to become pharisaical, but it can be done in an edifying way and exposited from Scripture, and, and that's good. But to me, it's just always been something I'd hope somebody else would come along and probably do a better job than me if um, that, that they had a greater amount of patience. 
that, that's all. That's all. That's my philosophy there. I, I don't try to um, make doctrine. I only try to exposit scripture. So, so I'll be talking about the meat laws coming up here in um, 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11 at, at um, great length. But, but it's, I, I wouldn't do a, a separate paper on it is what I'm trying to say. Even if, it's, if there's a need for it, I think that there's other people out there that could probably do it better. That's my opinion. So I haven't done it. But we should do a podcast perhaps on uh, all of the, um, the basic mechanics of the life of a practicing Christian. Because the meat laws, e- even if you're not going to hell for sucking down a chunk of pulled pork off a pig's ass, you still shouldn't do it. Because if you respect the creation of God and the body which is the temple that he gave your spirit, if you respect that, you should seek to take care of it. And eating swine is not the way to do that. Well, I've, uh, well I, I have you know, helped people with that, with the meat law issue uh, through the years. And um, you know, I, I would be glad to help you with that. Um, as far as discussing the the meat laws and, and some basics of Sabbath and things like that. Right, and, and, and that's perhaps, we're, we're going to leave this, this series open for further episodes as we feel commonly that the need arises. Um, Pastor Mark Downey has expressed interest in doing doing a segment of Walk the Walk, and and there are things that he does a lot better than I that he could expound on, and and that's fine. It's it's all about edification. So we will definitely leave this thread open for further discussion and probably have more segments in the future on the same topic. It seems that each one we're going to do is going to raise more questions, there's no doubt. I'm already seeing banter in a chat an hour ago but with people that talked about further questions. So it, it's, um, it's probably, I pray, going to be a useful tool. And, and thank you for joining me here tonight. And it's a pleasure. Praise Yahweh. Well, thank you for having me. Praise Yahweh. That'll be all for tonight. This um, segment of Christogenia Saturdays is concluded. We will have future segments of Walking the Walk in the future. That, well, I'm being redundant. I apologize. I will be here Friday night with 1 Corinthians Part 9, 1 Corinthians Chapter 8, I believe. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night. Thank you.